This program is intended for mature audiences only. Altitude adjustment may contain language, images, or other content that some may find offensive. Your discretion is advised. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Good afternoon. It is uh, four minutes after 2 p.m. on Saturday, June the 25th. And you're listening to Altitude Adjustment, the, the twice weekly podcast about people, politics, and professions. I'm Leon Davis, along with Warren. And as the graphics said, our guest today was to be Gemma Edwards. Uh, unfortunately, uh, she had some issues and she couldn't join us today. And that would have been a truly, um, I think, um, great entertainment. One of the things that I've absolutely enjoyed about doing this podcast is meeting some great people. And I think uh, we're going to try to reach out to get uh, back to get her to come back on. Uh, and hopefully that'll happen. And so I, I appreciate everybody joining us today. So did you, uh, were you able to check Warren to make sure that the things that you needed to get uh, working, are they working for your uh, young man? Sure. I got to send him a message. Okay. So anyway, so today we, um, I don't have um, a show planned because um, we weren't able to, to determine that she couldn't make it until the very last minute. So, um, so I, I didn't create a backup, a backup show. So I'm going to rely on Warren to to help me flush out something exciting for you today. And I don't think that that's really going to be a problem uh, for two guys that like to talk about current issues. So on oh, pre pressure. <laughs> that's that's what make this Pressure makes this exciting. Me. That's what makes this exciting. Okay, well we'll we'll come up with something. All right. So first, let me say, um, so we wish the best for those people that are uh, trying to sort out that mess in Florida um, with the collapse of the condos. Uh, last I heard, there were four dead and 160 possibly missing, and they're working to clean that up, and we do wish everybody the best in that. Now, um, before we started the show, Warren Warren likes to tease me with talking about a topic, and I keep going, save it for the show, save it for the show. So we're going to let him start today. Um, what, what were you talking about, Warren, that I was trying to ignore you to save for the show? Well, I was I was merely thinking, well, maybe she'll show up and, and you know, so we, I was just making conversation. So here's the topic. DOJ sues Georgia. And this is about this voter suppression crap that the Republicans are pulling. And when I saw that, I'm like, wow, I'm glad that they're standing up and, and trying to stop this crap because it's just crazy, you know. So got a few hit when I Googled it. I mean, it's all over the place. So it's definitely in the news. Uh, CNBC, USA Today, ABC News, Axios.com. They're all covering it. CNN, of course. So let's see if I can get to the headlines. Justice Department suing Georgia over voting restrictions. And they've got um, America. Okay, so you've locked up. <laughs> so the the uh, internet has gone amok today. Um, and so we'll give Warren a chance to come back 
Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about specifically too was the um, – so what's happening in cable news is that a lot of uh, – they keep using hyperbole and uh, – okay, so we've got – let me clean that up first. I think we've all heard this. Oh, okay. Now you're back. We lost you for a second. You you lost me? We had. We had. I had lost you for a second. So now you're back. Okay. Now I'm back. Do I, you want me to read it over? Well, I mean, you go, wherever you think you want to you start. Well, basically, DOJ is attacking this attack. And uh, like I said, uh, they don't want, uh, they want, identification requirements that are above and beyond what we think is necessary. They want to stop, um, oh, that's for absentee ballots. They want to make uh, state officials be able to overturn local elections, which is shouldn't be happening. And they want to limit the use of ballot drop boxes and make it a crime to approach voters in line to give them food and water. I think that's stuff that we've always heard. Like I said, I'm just so glad that the DOJ is standing up and, uh, defense for people who will, um, will be affected. So, so when I hear that, you know, my, my first thought is, um, well, one of my, my, one of my first thoughts is this whole concept of, um, states rights. So the whole, the whole states rights issue is about each state wants to be able to set their own agenda on things. Uh, and then still, and still operate and function under the umbrella of United States. Exactly. And I think that is problematic in the sense that you could be driving from Missouri to California and be in violation of laws as you pass through Kansas, as you pass through, you know, whatever, Oklahoma, uh, whatever states you pass through. Uh, now I'm showing my lack of knowledge on geography. But but as you pass through each state, you could be in violation of individual laws. Yeah. So whereas the state of Missouri may give you um, the freedom to carry a weapon unregistered, unlicensed, and you don't have to have any training. You could hit the border of Kansas and be in violation because Kansas then in has laws governing uh, concealed carry, uh, registration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we go from being the United States of America to the insanity that is we go to to being the insanity of uh, a patchwork of illegal systems, and so so those are my concerns. I I think that the the federal government has to be the umbrella, has to be the umbrella with which we define the legal system, what laws happen in our our uh, country, and then each state can then implement those in their own way, but that we have to have a consistency from 
coast to coast uh, that you understand what the laws are in the United States. So we can't have the state of Texas denying citizenship while the state of Idaho accepts citizenship for certain citizens. Um, I think that that doesn't make us the United States of America anymore. Nope. Nope. It makes a, it makes it, it's insane in its inception. Sure. It's, it's insane in its, in its ideology. And yet we have people constantly pushing that. Yeah, I agree. And what's insane about this whole conversation is that the very same people that want to tell us things are okay now, things are better. And, you know, this United States is not racist. These are the ones that want to take us back 200 years to slavery times and, and enforce those same type of restrictions and laws that we had then. But we're supposed to be okay with that. We're good now, but we, but they want to go back to their good old days the Confederacy, the state's rights, you know, all because Trump lost. It just shows you that things aren't, haven't changed as much as we think they have in the minds of some people. Yeah, I, I so understanding that people's minds don't change uh, a lot. So, so conservatism in this country is becoming um, identifiable by its lack of progress. So they picked the time and place in the history of the country when everything benefited one group and they determined that is the basis for how we should move forward. So whatever uh, is put forth to change that dynamic to change and make and make America more inclusive, to make America more uh, work together as a group. That is a bad thing. And so mm -hmm. they're gonna fight to keep that from happening. And it doesn't matter um, who it, who, how it works. It doesn't matter if it benefits the country as a whole. So, so here's the idea. As America becomes more diverse, relying on one particular social group becomes problematic because their numbers shrink. Mm -hmm. If their numbers shrink and you don't have, and you're not replacing them, and I, don't, I hate to use the term replace because that's part of the rhetoric that they use that people are trying to replace them. If you don't, support or build up or um, reinforce that the country as a whole can come together and fight for the system that we all believe in, or we should all supposedly all believe in and should all believe in. Um, it weakens the structure as a whole. So the, so the, the, what we're having is an attempt to solidify individual pockets of people and then leave vulnerable the nation as a whole. So, and I think we talked about um, 
one time about Texas wanting to secede. Yeah, we did. And so what would happen if Texas seceded? So Texas declares that they're an independent government. They don't have to um, uh, uh, be controlled or be, uh, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Don't have to adhere to uh, federal guidelines and federal um, laws, and they can make their own laws. So now, uh, I think Texas is a port state. Goods and services come into Texas, and they move from Texas to other parts of the country. So in order for that to work, the rest of the country is going to have to have a treaty with Texas so that goods and services can pass to the rest of the country um, and keeping the country afloat, making the country work. And then if Texas decides that they want to use that, that power to control commerce, to further gain power within the country, they then can negatively impact the rest of the country by not honoring a treaty, by not honoring um, you know, agreements made for commerce. So, good. That may be true, but in the long run, uh, Texas is one state. They have they have a certain area of port uh, mileage down there. But for them to go up against the the whole rest of the country, I don't think they win in the long run, because everything that they would be supplying through their support through their ports could probably come in from somewhere else and we could probably potentially block them out and and have stuff rerouted through another next door next state next door build whether it mean building new supply lines or whatever and in the long run uh i think they would lose because they're just one state against the whole country and if every if of the country was united that is and that's and that's my point exactly um we as a country lose because we've got a state full of people that are combatants on our shores Mm -hmm. so now we have to reroute commerce we have to um, deal with hostilities from Texas and, and that's, and there's no guarantee that they won't drag other States into it, that they won't drag neighbors into it. Um, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, Florida, you know, there's, there's no guarantee that they won't drag those States into this fight because in order for them to win, which is what you just said. They know they can't go this alone. So they have to uh, build a coalition in order for that to work. So now we've got the divided states of America mm-hmm. and we're competing with each other rather than building 
something here. Sure. So I, I, I exactly that the, the whole concept of, um, federalism and, um, uh, states rights and that kind of stuff. Uh, they, they'd have to have their own military or they'd have to, uh, sign a, an agreement with the, military that's available in the rest of the country to, to support them. I mean, there's a whole lot of uh, other crazy stuff that goes along with that um, that has to be done in order for that to happen. And one of the things that I don't hear is any of that being addressed in the whole conversation of states' rights. The conversation is, is let's push states' rights. Let's get it, get the ball rolling. Let's get that started. And then we'll end up wherever we end up. Mm-hmm. And we'll deal with it when we get there. And yeah, go ahead. They feel they're in the majority right now, you know. And uh, the, the truth of the matter is, they're the numbers are declining. I think they're blowing up their own uh, estimates of uh, how many they have behind them. But what worries me is the, is the the numbers of them that we actually have in the government, the governmental system, Congress, you know, the judicial judicial system that's kind of the scary part because uh in the military you know if it comes down to a military conflict you know what are we looking at um but back in the 1860s a lot of people did not want war they didn't want civil war abraham lincoln was very hesitant to declare the civil war but it got to that point where there were really few options, you know, resolve this militarily or, or keep the state's right thing, let it blow out of hand. And I think uh, it's possible we could get to that point, the way things are looking right now. If you look at our Congress. Well, okay. So, so one of the things that you mentioned was that you believe that, that their ranks are declining and that they're, they're probably, um, shrinking as far as people talking about cessation and that kind of stuff. And, and here's what I'll say to you. Um, we have more and more states passing these draconian voter registration laws. As you mentioned, uh, Georgia, uh, there's Missouri, there's, um, oh, Can't think of them off the top of my head, but Florida, yeah, Florida. Um, so, so as these laws are passed, there, there is a, there is, there is a shared uh, sense of, um, shared sense of, of uh, what what they need in order to be a power in our society. Mm-hmm. So, so when you say, so, so if Texas passes draconian, uh, voter laws and Georgia passes draconian voter laws, they then at this point believe that they're kindred spirits. So if Texas decides to secede and then Georgia believes if I 
step out without, without Texas, I'm more vulnerable. So it's better for me to join Texas mm -hmm. than, then as these laws pa are passed in state by state by state, then they start to see that, that they can start to build better coalitions because they have people that see things as they see things. Sure. So well, if, that, if that starts to happen, then that's going to be a really, really big red flag. And, and uh, so at this point, I see a red flag. Okay. So then the question is, what does the federal government do? Because the states are pushing this on, on their end. But at the same time, these people are in Congress, you know, and they have power. So how do we combat that? Right. And so, and so we are the government. So it's in contingent upon us to speak up that if we have lawmakers that are putting us at risk as a nation. And, and here's the difficulty. The people that believe in these voter suppression laws believe it's for the safety of. They don't see the potential harm there. Or if they do see the potential harm, they believe it's an acceptable risk. Yeah, they do. So, so then what happens is we get to the point of, and I don't want to say, so I want to call it the point of no return, the point of where we've reached a position where the system starts to break. So it's bending now because the department, the federal government has to file suit against a state stop and think about that. Mm -hmm. The federal government that's there, that controls the military, that protects the, 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 the turf that we stand on, has to file suit against a state to check its behavior. Yeah, I mean, this is isn't this where we were in the 1860s, the federal government against particular states? And did you want to say that again? Because you, you do understand what you're saying here. Yeah, it was the federal government against the states. And the problem now is that the divide has crept up into so many institutions, including the military, the judicial system, uh, Congress. We don't know how certain leaders in, in these different branches are going to react. I mean, what's the guy's name? Uh, General Flynn. He has a brother that's as wacky as he is, and he's a high-ranking military officer. He was. He's, he's no longer in the he, military. Well, he was, but... You think he was the only one? I mean, I think there are a lot of those guys out there that are uh, undercover. 
you know, in the military, you, you have to walk the line and you, you don't, you know, when to speak and when not to. And so my idea is that a lot of guys are on that side in the military. And it's just a matter of time before it's going to have to be cleansed. You know, mm -hmm. they're going to have to be flushed out. It's going to be ugly, but Hey, it is what it is, you know? So, so I understand. So when, when you say flushed out, when you say that they have to be cleansed, um, part of the argument that uh, a lot of the conservatives are using is that you're trying to silence us, that you're trying to get rid of us. And as, um, as citizens, they have a right to their opinions and their ideas. Absolutely. Um, so, so is it right that we need to get rid of them or that we need to make sure that we make the best arguments that we can for the, the ideologies that we support and try to make sure that we get the people out to the polls to vote, to participate in the system, to have their voices heard so that people with minority voices aren't making all of the decisions. So for, for a lot of times, we talked about how many people were eligible to vote, but didn't register and didn't vote. Absolutely. They didn't register, didn't vote. Mm -hmm. We have more in, and I've talked about this before and, I, and I'll talk about it again until, um, until, you know, as much as I can, we have more people that know a, a whole lot of information about, so you think you can dance. They know more about the winner of, so you think you can dance from five years ago than they know about how the government works, voting, who their congressman, who their congressperson is, who their state representative is. They know more about um, a television program, uh, a soap opera, um, whatever. They know more about that than they know about the political system in which helps make sure that all of that is possible. And so when you have that kind of uh, situation, um, then you have the growth of extremism because the people who aren't extreme have checked out of the system. And extremists, they're extreme because they don't check out. Isn't it a matter of how you define extreme, extremism? Because a lot of people, in my opinion, a lot of people that haven't voted or do not vote, uh, particularly don't fit into our two party system. They don't see things the same way that a Democrat sees them or a Republican sees them. They may have a totally different view. And so they just throw their hands up. They say, you know, they're all the same or neither one of them represent what I feel. Mm -hmm. And I think 
I think it's hard to overcome the fact that you only have two choices. So the question becomes, how does one party or the other appeal to more voters? What are you offering? What are you proposing? Are you going to keep your promise when you get into power? You know, all of these things are, are on the line now. So if Joe Blow runs on a particular platform, he wins. As soon as Joe Blow gets in the office, you know, he says, all right, well, you know, we ain't talking about that right now. Uh, that's, that's on the back burner. You know, a major issue for some people, they're going to have a problem with that, you know. Um, even if he didn't campaign on it, you know, they want to see some progress towards their issues. With only two parties, you, it, it's, it's like a line. You got this one over here, you got that one over there. And that, you can call it democracy, but, but people just really don't, I think, see it that way, you know? And, in, and a lot of people will put both parties in the same barrel and say, well, you know, the Republicans did this, did that, but then the Democrats, they're doing the same thing. You know, how do we determine, how do some people determine a, a, a good choice when they don't see their issues being met? And okay. this is before so, today. Okay. Today, it's, it's a lot harsher line, but, you know, go ahead. So, so you, going back to a point that you made, is that you believe that there are a lot of people who don't vote because they don't believe that the two parties represent their ideology. Yes. So they've checked out of the system. But how can their ideology be, be represented if they don't take participate in the system? So by getting into the system, if you don't support the two major candidates, as we pointed out two weeks ago, there are other people out there running for president. There's the Green Party. There's the, um, there are other parties, the the Libertarian Party. There's, um, you know, there are other parties that you can support. Now, if you take the, the stance that well. They're not as well known as the Republicans and the Democrats, so I'd be wasting my vote. Or I'm not gonna get in and get involved because I can't win. Then you're, you've made the vote that the Republicans and the Democrats are gonna win. You've assured that. You've assured that, that by not participating you voted for who the other people have decided that they want in that candidacy. Okay. So, so, so being a part of the system is the way one to get your voice heard to, to help make sure that we steer our country in a way that is going to be beneficial or that you choose is beneficial. I, I may not necessarily agree with you, but you have just as much right 
to stand up and make your case for your candidate as I have to make my case for my candidate. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I get on people's case um, is participate in the system. Mm-hmm. No more about politics than, than you know about television programs. Sure. No more about your, your, your local candidates starting with city dog catcher, if it's an electable position, or even if it's not, um, because politics are local. Politics start local. Um, and make sure that, that your representatives for mayor and for alderman and um, for state representative, make sure that you know who those people are. Make sure that they know who you are. And make sure that they know that you're going to participate in the system. Um, one of the things that that um, that you bring up is that the the two party system seems to fail. So the two party system has its drawbacks, but the country hasn't fallen apart because we've had it. Yes, there are problems, but the 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 system. Uh, can can it be better? Absolutely. But we have a government that the people voted for. Because if, yeah, did. if you didn't, huh? Yeah, people voted for it. If you didn't get up and vote, your vote was counted. Just because you didn't go vote doesn't mean your your apathy. Your apathy is a vote for whoever wins. Okay. If you don't get up and you don't go down and um, so so Georgia passed a law where you can't give people food in line. And it passed. It passed the state legislature. How many people you think in Georgia think that that was the dumbest damn thing that they did? I have no idea. Do you think a lot of people thought it was dumb? I'm not in Georgia, so I'm not going to even try. I'm going to say I think that that was that a lot of people in Georgia think that that was a damn dumb idea. Well, I've talked to people that are Republican and lean Republican, and they seem to think it was no big deal. I understand that. I I, I didn't say so. There definitely is some people that think it was worthwhile. That's why it got passed. That's not what I'm talking about. The, the, there are voter drives where they've registered thousands of people, new voters. When I turned 18, I rushed down to register to vote. The only thing that a voter drive would have given me was a piece of cake. <laughs> because participating in the system of government that we have was so exciting to me that I could pick the president of our country. 
that I could pick the people that represented me in Congress. So I rushed down to get registered to vote. But we have people that it's, it's secondary. It's, I get it. You have to take a day off. You have to take, you have to rearrange your schedule because it may not be convenient for you to go vote. Yeah. You have to get up and you have to go do something extra because it doesn't come to you. But anything in life that it comes too easy, is it going to solve, is it going to do for you what it what you want it to do for you? You have to get up and you have to take that extra step and you have to, um, you have to ask for an hour off early so that you can get to the polls before the polls close. You have to do those things that aren't easy because, because you have to turn off the television or you have to change the channel for the, and, and watch evening news or watch uh, a documentary on um, elections and voting and candidates. Um, and you have to, you have to shift it, it. You know, I'm, I love politics. I absolutely love politics. Don't get me wrong. I got frustrated. I get frustrated. So, you know, I've watched Matt Gates and I'm like, are you kidding me? You're absolutely kidding me. This man made it to Congress. Yeah, I mean, he's not the only one. People vote for these people. So I don't know what to say. What does that say about him? You know, I because I disagree with Matt Gates doesn't mean other people are going to disagree with me about Matt Gates. And if, if that's really who you want to represent you, and that's really who you want to represent you. Um, the thing that that troubles me is that over and over and over and over again, you can get people motivated by making them afraid. And you would think at some point people would say, I'm tired of being afraid. I'm going to do what I can to eliminate the fear in my life so that I can live a rational life on a daily basis. When you say afraid, are you talking about to vote or they're making them afraid of. So, so there's this, um, 1619 project. There's, mm -hmm. uh, critical race theory. There's defund the police. There are people who make comments about them and know absolutely nothing about them other than what they've heard in a headline. Mm -hmm. And what is this fear of? Well, it's, 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 it's people use fear to motivate people to support them. So, yeah, I know, but what are they afraid of? Well, they're afraid of a lot of things. They're afraid of losing power. They're afraid of becoming irrelevant. They're afraid of, um, you know, uh, uh, losing their homes. People are afraid of a lot of things. 
And 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 there so I don't know if, if you're trying to get at a specific fear. Maybe maybe that's the question I should ask you. Are you trying to get at a specific fear? Well, yeah, but but okay, we were talking about voting. And so these people have the right to vote. Uh I'm assuming they vote, but they're still afraid of something. And that's what other people's votes. Hmm. That's a, I don't know how to, I don't know. Well, I'm sure some people are afraid of other people's votes. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody gets a vote. Uh, a lot of people don't vote, but yet people are running around in fear and it, and it just really doesn't make any sense. So it sounds like people somehow fear other people is the point I'm making. And what is, where is that coming from? Well, of course people fear other people. I mean, so, okay. Um, I, 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 I get the impression that there's, so you have a specific idea for the answer of that question. Is that not the case? Or is it just a kind of um, rhetorical oh, question? Yeah. I mean, we have this great divide. We have left, we have right, we have, we have straight, we have gay, queer, whatever. And people seem to be afraid of so much nowadays. And all of these things have somehow spilled over into politics. And when you said fear, it just the light just went on. So people have fears of other people. And they're a lot of them are voting based on their fears. And I'm just wondering what that says about mankind people in general when where they have so much fear of each other okay so so some politicians there was there was a move to allow transgender people to use the bathroom of their chosen gender mm-hmm. so in order to to get people to not vote for that to push back. They try to paint transgender people as molesters. They're going to molest women. They're going to molest children. So as, as a society, our goal is to protect women and children. So they, they use that fear to gin up baseless, fear mm. of that bill. And so people go, well, I don't want I don't want molesters to to molest children and women, so I'm going to vote for it. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to vote for it. Without any proof that that's the case. Without any proof that that's the case. Or with minimal proof. They may they may have um a situation where one person or two people might have done it. But all it takes is when the people are are using fear as the the um, rationale for behavior, it does not take much. It just takes enough to reach the threshold of I can see it happening. Mm-hmm. 
so so you've got um, people ginning up fear of um, race equality, of gender equality. Mm-hmm. That you know, if we if we let women be equal, they're gonna you know they're gonna rise up and take over the world, and that's that's you know how they spin that. That's because they don't want to, they don't want that bill to pass. They, for whatever reason, they, they deny that they want to support that. And so then they use not logical reasons to avoid supporting it. They used fear-based reasons to try to uh, keep people from supporting it. And so what I, I think is happening is a lot of people don't realize that they're being they're, they're, that fear is being used to motivate them. Mm-hmm. If you don't recognize when you're being emotional, then you can be manipulated emotionally. So so I, I think that a lot of them don't realize that they're being um, manipulated emotionally. And, and when they're told that they're being manipulated emotionally, they push back because nobody wants to believe that they're being emotional. They want to believe that they're being rational, that they're being objective, that they've thought it through that that they've given it the real thought and power of thought that it deserves and that they came up with a very good solid decision mm-hmm. so it then becomes how do you reach someone that won't determine when they're being emotional and when they're using logic and reason well that seems like a challenge in and of itself i think that uh, a lot of times fear like you said it's not based on fact or sound reasoning but it seems that possibly um there's other emotions behind this whole motivating this whole thing and that could be hatred you know, when it comes to LGBTQ, things like that, those issues, uh, there's just a lot of bias and hatred toward those groups. And people will probably initiate some sort of fear or in other people to disagree with them or oppose them. So that is really deep in into our political atmosphere right now but where does all of this come from where does this hatred come from for other groups something inside a man causing him to uh not like or hate other people that are different from them and is this more in part of the problem with our whole political discourse people being different from one another 
why we want uh, so many different things or, or we want to throw up obstacles to keep certain people out of power. I think we need to look at the root causes of our, our opposition to figure out what's going on. You know, yeah, we got to vote. But is voting going to cure these problems inside of us? Okay, so that that's an that's an interesting one to me. So, so your idea is is that we have to do the internal work first, and then we'll vote. No, I'm not saying do the work first, but I'm just saying at the end of the day, we're still going to have these battles over basic things inside of our humanity and our hearts and our souls. And it's, it's, it's never ending because when people see people different from them as some sort of harm to them, they're gonna throw up a fence, a wall, there's gonna be a divide and we're gonna consistently struggle over these concepts that that divide us like color uh language orientation uh, i i think that's that's so political now that we we can't get around that you know like when obama was elected in office what was the biggest reason for a lot of people objecting to him not because he was a Democrat, because he was black. Because he was from another country, they say. You know, all of these immaterial things they kept throwing up didn't have anything to do with his politics. His religion, oh, he's a Muslim. None of that had anything to do with his ability to be the president. You know, we got things inside of us that, that are dividing us to a point where it's going to be we're, and unless we overcome these things we're going to never have peace that's what i'm saying okay I, I guess okay so so one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was um so i question being able to hate something that you don't know so i think i think Fear comes before hate. Um, fearing something is, is believing that it's going to cause you harm, whether or not there is evidence that that is true. And then to hate it means you feared it for so long that it's now the emotion has passed into something else. It has passed into fear. I mean, it passed into hate. Now, where did the fear come from? Where are you saying fear comes from? Fear comes from believing that something is going to harm you. Okay. So if if I see, I'm walking down the street and I see a queer person, you know, a guy dressed in drag or whatever like that. And I don't know him from Adam. He doesn't know me. 
I should fear him because I think he might harm me. Well, I mean, I don't think you can hate him because you don't know anything about him. And so well, if you do hate him, if you do hate him, at one point you were taught to fear him and that fear turned to hate. I don't think you were taught to hate. Well, hate comes from different things. It could be a, a strong dislike or a concept that this is evil. I'll give you an example. You're not a religious person, but people that grow up in religion develop strong ideas of right and wrong, good and bad, etc. And these strong feelings can develop into a strong dislike, maybe even a hate, you know, a mild form of hate. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I guess you call it dogma in religion that gives you a strict idea of what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. And people brought up, <coughs> not, uh, excuse me, those ideologies, those religious concepts react to people that they feel are outside of their what's acceptable if that makes sense and they they don't have a strong dislike for them and it takes you having to develop a higher consciousness to 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 look outside of what you were taught in church because <clears throat> Most people that are highly religious really have a, a very narrow view of certain things and they can't see the big picture of their actual religion, which uh, in Christianity is all about love and acceptance, forgiveness and things like that. But sometimes a lot of people just look past that. They see, some, they see something that they think is wrong. They want to condemn it. They want to lash out against it, you know? And that's the same thing with racism. It's like that. Okay. So, so racism, I mean, so religion actually begins with the fear of God. The whole concept of the whole concept of Christianity is that God is all powerful. He will, he will, he or he, or he God, God's a he. Um, yeah. God will, that will continue to the lake of fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So religion starts with, it doesn't start with the love. It doesn't start with the, the forgiveness. It start with, it starts with hellfire and brimstone. You can't, you well, can't get to the love. Huh? I don't say, I wouldn't say it starts there. Okay. That might, that might be woven into religion, but I, I don't think it starts there. Okay. You know, okay. but what I'm the point I was trying to make is that we judge. Mm -hmm. It says judge not. We mm -hmm. condemn. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have the power to do that. We do a lot of things, but a lot of people get so hyped up on these do's and don'ts, goods and bads that they automatically want to judge and condemn people, and so. A lot of that is in is part of our political divide, but that's a whole other conversation. We've got one side that's just forgiving and open, and the other side's trying to be condemning. And you know, even though 
they're no better. They don't want to condemn what they do wrong. So it's 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 a pretty bad scenario. But I think I think that hate can come from ideas embedded in us and like prejudice. Yeah. You prejudge somebody. Based yeah, but on prejudice is the root of prejudice is fear. Well, I, I'm not saying. Okay. Okay, I'm not saying. Maybe maybe I seem like I'm saying that you're wrong all the time, and and, and that's not what my intent is. Um. It it the things that I have learned is that usually when people object to something, it's out of fear. It's out of because because they don't know, so they fear okay. it first, and then they reject it because they fear it. And, and that rejection, hate comes out of that rejection. Um, yes. Mm. So you, uh, let's say you met a person and they've, um, um, they were, they were nice to you and then that changed and you mm -hmm. wind up hating that person. So the belief then is that it didn't start out of fear it started out of something else. Um, and so there are going to be, I think, instances where you can't always apply the rule. But if you look at prejudice, prejudice starts out of fear, fear of the unknown, fear of um, what um, um, mixing races will do, fear out of, uh, uh, having a society where you're not the top of the food chain, th those are, those appear to be um, um, fear-based. Hmm. And then the hate comes out of that. Okay. So, so it, it's possible that, that that's not always going to be the case, but it's just um, the things that I have learned um, that's, have, that's a tendency where I start. So I, I get it, I guess, I guess I just, um, so when resolving hate, um, how do we look at, uh, how do we look at resolving hate? How do we, how do we get to a place where, where we don't hate, uh, do we have to take fear into account when dealing with hate? And so I, I guess, you know, my statement is, is I think we have to, in order to deal with hate, in order to deal with prejudice, we also have to deal with fear. And if we don't deal with fear, then I'm, I feel we can't really get to the, the, the um, core of hate. And, mm -hmm. and that's not going to be in every instance but I just think it's going to be in the majority of instances. And, and, okay. and I'm not necessarily right. That's just, that's just what I think I've encountered. Well, that's, that's, that's well said. Let's look at fear. How do we actually deal with fear then? 
uh, if someone fears another person or another group of persons, how do we rest, put those fears to rest so that we can sit down and have a dialogue and get beyond that? Let's try to figure that out. Some, so I, I understand what you're saying. I kind of thinking sometime if people aren't willing to look internally and recognize when they're being fearful and when they're, when they're acting out of fear or when they're acting out of anger or when they're acting out of emotion, mm-hmm. if they're not willing to look internally, it's going to be difficult to try to find a solution because, because they're never going to admit what the core issue is for their rejection of ideas and, and situations. And if they're I never agree. going to deal with the rejection of it, then then they're never going to deal with a solution. So I so so then the, the issue becomes well, if if I if we can't find a way to get them to look internally, and to think more rationally and critically, then um, then we have to deal with their levers of power. Um, if we know that that person. And and that's the tricky part. If we know that a person is acting out of emotions, um, how do we safely keep that person from doing damage and still allow that person to be themselves? Because I can't talk, you can't, we can't talk a person out of their fear. That, that's an internal mechanism that they have to address. They have to say, you know what? Um, I recognize that I'm acting out of fear and I'm going to arm myself with knowledge so that I'm no longer acting out of fear, that I'm acting out of knowledge. But if they believe they're already believed that they're acting out of knowledge, you're not going to convince them that they're not. Well, yeah, that's, that's a challenge. I guess in that case, um, Maybe they should have gone to therapy, but it's once they get in office, it's a little late. You know, it, a, a song comes to mind when you when you said that if you can't get them to look inside of themselves, that song uh, Michael Jackson did it. I'm looking at the man, man in, in the, the mirror. mirror. Sure. <laughs> How do we get these folks in front of the mirror to see themselves? How do we calm them down and say, okay, hold up. Let's just look at this. Put that mirror in front of them. If we could figure that out, maybe we could get closer to a solution to solving some of these problems. Hmm. That's, that's, that's a very profound thought. Professor uh, Harper, appreciate you sharing that gem of knowledge. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I agree 100% with what you said. How do you get them in front of the mirror to see where they are, who they are, and perhaps what they can become if they overcame a fear of whatever it was? You know, because it's all about overcoming and changing, right? We progress <clears throat> yeah. but 
the people that are pushing against progress don't want to change. That's the whole point of pushing against progress is that they don't want to change. They don't want to grow. They don't want to be better people. They've, they've, at this point, they've decided I am the best me I'm ever going to be. That's because they feel they have power and they don't want to let that go. That's so yeah, I think I mean. you've answered your question. You have to take away their power because if that's what's keeping them from changing, if, if the, if, the, if, because you have power, you refuse to change, you refuse to grow, you refuse to become a better you, then the only way for that to change is for you to lose that power. And then once you lose that power, then you can grow. Then you can become a better you. Then the world around you becomes different. Mm, I don't know about that one. I'll have to think about that one. No, I'm just, just, so if you go logically, if you just go logically, if you just go logically, and and you were saying, you know, the reason they don't change is because they have the power to not change. Mm-hmm. Then, in order for change to happen, then they have to no longer have the power to not change. And then change is going to happen. Because the only thing that's keeping them where they are is that they have the power to stay there. And it's just logic. I'm not saying that that's the answer. I'm not saying that that's the solution. I'm not... I'm just saying, based on the logic, that's that's where you have to go. And then we have to look at other factors, other uh, solutions, uh, that there may be more than one solution. And there may be one yeah. more than one reason that people don't change. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this situation with you and I talking about power. We're two guys. We need a feminine voice in this conversation. <laughs> okay. Take a man's power. What would a woman say about that? A man with his power taken away. How is he going to react? Will he become abusive <clears throat> more? Will he try to kill someone? Will he even commit suicide? I don't know. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with what you said, but I'm 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 trying to see the right, you're examining effect. you're examining options and alternatives. <laughs> and that's what and that's what we and that's I think a good thing. <clears throat> examining options and alternatives allows us to grow. It allows <coughs> so excuse me. So um people that um won't examine options and alternatives have decided that they know the answer and that they don't care about any other rationale for things that happen in the world around them. And, and so I, I get you. I, I understand that. I understand that. Um, I would like to encourage people to examine options and alternatives to think outside the box but thinking outside the box is not something everybody does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think this whole conversation about mentality and the psyche with power, I don't think this is anything new or out of the box. Um, giving that a man has a certain amount of his DNA built on his power 
being the man, the authority, and see that goes back culturally, and then that could open up a whole nother conversation too. I, I, I'm aware of that, but but just think on the society that we're in. Think about the society that we're in now. Now the matriarchal concept, or, or rather patriarchal versus matriarchal. How will a man react in the face of being losing power or being defeated even, power taken away from him? How does he react? How does he rebound? Can he see things differently other than being defeated? Are you waiting for you waiting for a um, I, I, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm looking at this whole idea of power being taken away and and what's the consequences? How does how do they react? So you want me to comment? Sure, sure. What, sure. I want to hear your opinion on that. Well, I think it's it's so. So if you're accustomed to dealing with adversity, you're going. It's going to impact you differently. If you're not accustomed to dealing with adversity, when you if you're not accustomed to um, reinventing yourself, if you're not accustomed to operating without power, then your first encounters it's going to be different than if you're accustomed to dealing with dealing with adversity, to dealing with um, not having the power that you'd like mm-hmm. to have. And, it, and, yeah. and part of it's going to be um, contingent upon your character. What do you believe yeah. is the right behavior for someone as an adult? So if you lose power in a situation, do you believe that it's acceptable to strike out, mm-hmm. to use physical violence to regain power? Or do you believe that power has more to do with your mental state than your physical state? Do you rely on physical power in place of mental power? So okay. there are a lot of guys who uh, smash their heads into lockers before they put on their helmet because they're going to go out and they're going to hurt somebody. And they see physical power as a man's value and worth. Mm-hmm. There are men who believe in, in mental power over physical power. And so they're okay. going to deal with it differently. Okay, so having said that, let's let's go back a few months to January the sixth. Okay. Would you consider that a reaction to men who felt they had lost power? I don't I don't know if 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 it was that they felt that they had lost power or that they wanted to exert power. They still felt that they had the power, so they were going to use that power 
to show how they show people how they felt right or that still had the power so so they 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 believed that they were not being shown the respect that they deserved and so they were going to use their physical power to gain regain that respect well okay so they felt like they lost respect but they want to go out and do a big act of violence breaking the law and somehow feel that they would get respect from that do you think that or so that somehow whoever encouraged them to do that was going to grant some sort of power to them after they acted on their behalf. Well, um, so let's take the individual that who remains nameless individual that you feel incited the, the, in the, the situation. Right. So what is that person's method of operation? Uh, insults, ins insults, taunts, bullying, um, which are all intended to be intellectual uh, force. Okay. So in order to exert power, that person felt they had to berate, belittle, and otherwise dehumanize the person that challenged their power. Hmm. So there's the physical pre uh, presentation of power, and then there's the um, social presentation of power. Whereas if, oh. if that person felt that um, walking up and punching someone would have done the same thing as insults, is it likely that they would have done that? Is it likely that they would have punched someone? Mm -hmm. Well, there, there was a little punching going on. I, I think that they... I'm not sure what the limits would have been if they had been allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Because what happened was when they got into the Capitol, the Well, I'm talking about the I'm talking about the person that incited it. Oh, the the person that incited it. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I, I it's hard to predict what his mind where his mind is sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So so you as a man if someone starts to insult you, mm -hmm. call you a little bitch, <laughs> call you soft, okay. what is your reaction as a man? Huh? I mean, first of all, it depends on who it is, who's, who's doing the talking, because some people, you know, you have to look at their mindset and you know that they, they have issues and other folks are actually trying to start a fight, you know, now me, <clears throat> I'm not a violent person. I'm not, 
quick to react and, and start throwing punches. So my first reaction is to deal with their mindset and what's causing them to say that. But once they go that far, you, you already know that they're, they're pretty hyped up. So I, I, I tend to give people their space before things escalate, but I definitely be on guard because I'm feeling like this is a threat and I might have to punch him, you know, so, or dodge a punch, you know? So I, it's not uh, a situation that you take lightly for sure. So as a man, as a man, <clears throat> When you've been called out of your name, when you've been verbally assaulted, you recognize that that is a potential physical assault. Absolutely. So the person who incited this used verbal assaults on a regular basis to other men yeah. and women. Yeah. Wouldn't that then be um, kin to physical assaults. I would say so. I mean, yeah. I okay. mean, uh, things he said, things I've heard have been on the level pretty much of a physical assault. And it's amazing that, that uh, so many people um applauded that thought that was great um i just don't see uh, a person that, at that uh level of authority being allowed to do that but then again you know we got this first amendment thing now where i guess People are looking at it totally different now. People can say what they want to say. Even the president, you know, can get away with it. So we're, we're in uncharted waters right now. So if <clears throat> you and I recognize that those verbal assaults were basically physical assaults, mm -hmm. wouldn't the people that went to the Capitol also know that those were physical assaults that his, that his whole four years in office was one giant physical assault on the powers that be. I, I think that you could look at it like that, you know, that's, that's their, their way of uh, fighting, fighting back. He used those words a lot, you know, uh, Definitely think you could call that those assaults. Yeah. Okay. And so they were physically carrying out assaults based on his language. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, so one of the things that you, you had talked about earlier was a man losing his power and, and how they, perform, mm -hmm. um, along with, uh, what will a man do to retain whatever power 
he feels he has. So we know that a physical assaults on women are usually about exerting power. Yeah. It is about imposing my will on someone else. So, yeah. yeah. So the attempt was not to, uh, that whole presidency had nothing to do with building coalitions, with trying to negotiate or um, make the country better. It was about exerting power. I agree. Um, they stepped onto the podium, you know, looking down on people and, and calling people names and, you know, let, letting people know whose side he was on, you know, it wasn't about coalitions. It so, had yeah, I, little I to do with helping or building. Mm -hmm. It was Absolutely. completely 100% all about power. Yeah. Yep. Name calling, you know, mm -hmm. division, abuse, abuse, mm -hmm. belittling, mm -hmm. disrespect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Lock people up mm -hmm. <laughs> without a trial. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Threatening. Searching people's records without warrants, without probable cause. Yeah. Exerting power. Unabashed power. Passing so, voter registration laws, mm -hmm. regardless of who gets hurt. Yeah. Limit the power of the opposition. Limit Absolutely. the power of the opposition. It's all about power. It's mm -hmm. nothing to do with about building, making the situation better. What gets me is when I hear these people on his side, on that other side, keep bringing up this word bipartisanship and this crap. I'm like, you, they, you only want to work together when you feel that it's going to benefit you. There's no crossing the line and coming together. It's like, we're going to hold our line, <laughs> stand fast, mm -hmm. hold our power mm -hmm. is what we're all about. Sure. So it's, it's crazy. Well, so, so the whole concept of bipartisanship on one side is just a ruse to continue to try to exert force, power, with no attempt to try to um, join forces or um, build something with the other side. It's, it's all about exerting force. That's not my idea of bipartisanship. <laughs> it's, I don't think it's I don't think it's anybody's idea of, of bipartisan, and the whole and and the the reason that some people are using the term bipartisan is because it deflects from my use of force. Mm -hmm. So if I say I'm trying to be bipartisan, but my actions aren't 
bipartisan. I am uh, not trying to be bipartisan. I'm trying to make people believe I'm being bipartisan so that I can continue to use force. It's an attempt at deception. Nobody's buying that. Well, I, I don't know if nobody is. I, 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 I think I understand that there are people who are uh, optimistic. And so they hear bipartisan come out of somebody's mouth and they say, well, okay, I will give you a chance. I will try to negotiate with you in a bipartisan way. They actually think that both sides are given equal chances. They're trying because because they they believe in bipartisanship. So they hear the other side say, "Well, I want to be bipartisan." Or, you know, you're 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 not meeting me close enough to my side, so you're not being bipartisan. And so that's an attempt to get the per people that believe in bipartisanship to give more when they have no intent of giving anything at all. Oh, well, I think that um, we've got some very um, challenging times coming down the line to see where things go politically. Understood. I think, um, I think I'd like to see more people, more common people like you and myself sit down, have a conversation with people who disagree with us or see things differently and just talk about some things. See, I think you're being optimistic. I think you believe that I said what I'd like to, I think, I think, you know, having that conversation with people, they have to show that, that they're more than willing to um, find common ground. And it starts by uh, common facts. If I say to you that, <clears throat> that, that I am not experiencing society the same way you are experiencing society, then the question has to be, well, explain to me what you're experiencing and not, no, society's fine. You just have to work harder. You all understand what I'm saying? On, it's all based on perception. It's based on it's based on you trying to find a way to meet me where I am and I try to meet you where you are and not mm -hmm. tell you that your experiences aren't valid. Sure, sure. I, I agree. And don't you think that was kind of what we were trying to do when we met with this this guy that, that we had the meeting with? Tim? Um, so, so for people who don't know, um, Warren, uh, I can tell them that you worked on, uh, worked at the, uh, board of elections. Yeah. So Warren works at the board of elections and he meets a gentleman who, um, Warren believes is, uh, right leaning. And when I say right leaning, who's a conservative. And um, so he invites us to, he invites the guy and myself to meet 
with the idea of maybe having the guy on the show because he's a different point of view than than uh, than we are. So everyone has a, you know, even Warren and I differ on points of view. So we thought, you know, having someone that um, does not have the same political leanings as we do, or, you know, uh, that it would be a good conversation. So we had a conversation. And so Warren is now saying that you believe, uh, I'm sorry, what, what is it that you believed about the, the, the guy? Well, I believe I just thought that we could just sit down and talk and discuss and kind of fill each other out to see where we were on the issues and see if there was any commonality that we could kind of bridge on, you know, rather than just say, well, I'm over here, I'm over there. and We, we can't agree on anything just to try to see if there were some things that we did agree upon and to shed some light on the things that we maybe disagreed upon. Just just like when, when, when we discussed some of the facts, you know, about, we talked about uh, Thomas, Judge Thomas and things like that. And, and what's her name? Uh, Candace Owens. Yeah, Candace Owens. We talked about different people like that, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. We talked about how opportunities were different for people of our color than of his and things you know, kind of progress from there or don't progress from there because of the lack of opportunity, you know, just general conversation. So do you feel like, do you feel like there was some benefit in that conversation? <laughs> For me, I feel the benefit was, um, it was an attempt to try to maybe bridge a gap um, to see where a guy was coming from. I, I think, uh, I don't know if he was open to accepting the things we discussed that we told him or how can I say this? I don't know if it actually made a difference. You know, I tried to call him a few weeks ago and he didn't return my call. So I, I'm assuming he may not be interested in any further dialogue. I don't know. I'll see him at the next meeting, hopefully, and we can go from there. Okay. I, um, I don't know. I, I don't think. So I don't think that a conversation in and of itself is always the barometer used to measure progress. Sure. Um, many times that we, so on this, on this podcast, what we try, I try to ensure is that we don't talk over each other. You cannot listen with your mouth. It's just not possible. Now, somebody will come and say, well, yeah, I can still hear you. Well, if you're talking, then you're thinking about what it is that you want to say. And you're not fully giving attention to the other person that's talking. So I, I try to avoid um, people talking at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and then the idea is 
is that when you do have a conversation and you do listen to each other, is that you're going to walk away and then process that information. That you're going to have heard each other, you're going to process that information, and then you're going to determine if that information is valid. And if it's valid, you can incorporate it and you're going to discard those things that are not, but at least you've been exposed to a different idea. And so I like to have on people who have differing ideas. I like to have people because the way for me to learn is to hear from people who have differing ideas than I do. If I continue to hear people that have the exact same ideas that I do, then it reinforces the ideas that I have and I don't grow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So sitting down with that guy uh, and sitting down with anyone that has a differing opinion. So I've, I've been on a podcast, the lizard news network, and he's a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. But I have to, but for me, I want to hear what he's saying to understand him because there may be things I don't have all of the truth, and he's not going to have all of the truth. Sure. But I won't know what the truth is or is not unless I'm willing to sit down and listen. So, did you learn some things from the? Uh, I, of course, I learned some things. One of the things that I've I believe that I've lived my life by is if you enter a situation and you don't walk away learning something, you wasted your time. Sure. Sure. That's why I don't spend a whole lot of time on television because it doesn't teach me anything. Right. Right. That's why I read news. That's why I read, um, you know, those things that, that allow me to garner some new information that I didn't have before. And it gives me a chance to investigate that. I'm sorry. Mm -mm, Go ahead. I'm just curious about this uh, conspiracy theory guy. What would you say? What kind of things did you learn from him? Okay. So he's, he's actually going to come on. We're going to have him on uh, as a guest. And uh, so tomorrow's podcast is the last podcast for the break before the break. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be back August the 20th. Um, so some of the things that I learned now, keep in mind that, uh, I didn't learn about, um, the earth being flatter or anything of that nature. What I learned about was having a conversation with a person. Um, and, um, so, so I believe that if I'm open to ideas, that people will be open to ideas back. Right. And there are many times where I've been in a conversation, like you said, with the guy, I think his name was Tim, the one yeah. at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, we entered the conversation, had the conversation with him, but we didn't get any feedback. So we didn't have, we had no way to gauge mm-hmm. whether or not we had an impact. So with the guy from the uh, Lizard News Network, I think his name is Elijah. 
Um, I ended that. We had a conversation. I tried to be as honest with him as I possibly could and open with him. Mm -hmm. And, and he reached out to me and said, Hey, I really, really enjoyed that conversation. Okay. So I know better more now that not being combative, because I was, I tried not to be combative during that conversation and mm -hmm. to approach it from respecting his opinion and not saying, Hey, that's, that's wrong. And that's, you know, how could you possibly believe in that conspiracy theory? But asking him about that conspiracy theory and, you know, share with me more of your ideas. You know, I found that, you know, he's open to differing ideas. Okay. Or at least that's what he's led me to believe. Right, right. In our interaction. But it took um, having that, you know, having more, uh, more conversation with him after uh, the show. So we, him and I sat and talked for a couple of hours. Oh, cool. Cool. So, so what I learned is, you know, a, a more about, um, communicating with folks, um, how, how to share my ideas in a way that they don't become threatening, but mm. become a point where we can talk, where we can begin a conversation. All right, we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, we've got tomorrow that um, we've got uh, Wendy Isaac Bergen. She is a an author and um, a music. Uh, it's something to do with music. <laughs> and she's a, a, a professor at an HBCU. And she's coming on tomorrow, and we're going to talk about her book, and we're going to talk about um, being an author or uh, about uh, being an instructor in HBCU. That was one of the things that really grabbed my attention. Warren thought, well, yeah, you got, you got white instructors at HBCUs. Why wouldn't we have? And uh, and I, I, it's not that I don't think that we do. It's just, you know, what is life like for a white instructor at an HBCU, especially during this time when we're having such difficulty communicating with each other. Right, right. Uh, so uh, until, until tomorrow, everybody be safe, uh, and then we'll see you tomorrow. That concludes this episode. Of and thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and Twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website, thelionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.